0: There are two kinds of people in the world. Some of us are Marthas. We're practical people. We have a simple, unquestioning faith. We don't talk, we do. Some of us are Marys. We think deeply about faith and ask deep questions. And we don't really think much about the practical things of life. They'll take care of themselves. We kind of float above it all. There are not two kinds of people in the world. It's a very complicated place. You are a very complicated person. We can't divide the world into two. We've done this with this reading. We've done all kinds of damage to ourselves and to each other and we've particularly done all kinds of damage to those, mostly women, who do the domestic work of life. But it leads to absurdity or irrelevance or worse, it leads to violence and the gulags, doesn't it? The world is an incredibly complex place. Um, anyway, what do we do with Jesus here? He's either a proto-feminist encouraging Mary in her stance, because as we know, to sit at the feet of someone, even now we use that language, was the stance of a, a learner from a teacher, and that would only be available to men. See, a, a proto-feminist encouraging Mary to break the glass ceiling, or is he part of the unreconstructed patriarchy where he's just not the least bit interested in all of the problems that we discount as women's work. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted over so many things. You don't, you don't need to worry. Just relax. Let it go. It's very strange, isn't it? At best, at best, Jesus is insensitive in this reading. I'm, having, I, I'm tired of all that. I don't know about you, but I've been listening to this reading for years and I'm just bored with it. So I'm having another go in a different way. What if we, instead of reading it so literally, as we seem so um, focused and fixed on doing... And, and by the way, uh, we do this um, differently than most of the rest of history has ever done it. It's only in the last... It's the early part of the 20th century, about the 1920s onwards, when a literal reading of the Bible was the first and best and highest way of reading it. It is a way of reading it. It doesn't mean that there wasn't a Mary and a Martha. But they're sisters. In Norse and Celtic mythologies particularly, sisters, particularly twins, were seen as the exemplar of what life is really like for so many people. In fact, for all of us, the struggle between who we are on the inside, the way we wish ourselves to be, and the way we actually are in the world, the way we act, between what we say about ourselves and what we end up doing. That's the constant battle between within us all the time. And in these mythologies, in many other mythologies too, but it's very strong in... Both Celtic and Norse mythologies, the idea of the twins is a representation of that. So I'm going to suggest that we think about Mary and Martha as us, as the two, as two bits of us at battle. And, and we have a good exemplar of this in Romans chapter seven where Paul himself goes on a bit of a tirade about himself and he says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And he goes on and on. So if we look at it this way. First of all, we know that Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. In our more than literal reading, the first thing we know about Martha is she is living the way she longs to live. She is beginning to do what we all long to do, which is be welcoming to the world with open arms. This is the way we began as children. We drink the world in, we take what it has to offer, and we welcome it with open arms. Hospitality is deep in our bones. It's the way we want the world to be, it's the way we want our own lives to be, to welcome other people into it. To welcome other people into our homes are the, the intimate part of our lives. And to be welcomed. To be a part of other people's existence. To be known and recognised and acknowledged. She begins well. She begins like we all begin. And she has a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. We begin Peaceful and at rest as children. I know we you know, we run around a lot when we're little and we wish we had that energy when we're older. But we, what we long for is to be able to sit, not frightened, not a stance of being ready to run because anything could come at any moment and damage us. Not the stance of fist up, angry, ready to fight, but sitting at rest, at peace, open, Receptive, and as we hear in the story, at the Lord's feet. In other words, deeply connected to the divine. Deeply connected to the meanings of the universe. The place of peace, and the, the green grass in the famous psalm, the quiet waters. That's what's going on. But, but, the text says, but... Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Distracted, distracted, it, it's a, a, a multiple word that means um, a part, this is a part, and tract or attractor uh, is from the Latin, I think, um, that I've read somewhere, um, means pulled, sort of drag. We're pulled apart. Distracted is to be separated into bits, into little pieces, the way we spend most of our days distracted, pulled to bits, not whole. We get hurt and damaged. We're heartbroken and we close up. and We're no longer the open people that we long to be because you've got to protect yourself. As Bob Dylan says in one of his famous songs, everything stays down when it's wounded. We know what it's like to be damaged and to be hurt and and for these many tasks to be overwhelming us. We're confounded by life. For I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. I've got convictions that I don't live out. I've got hopes that I've never realised. This is the story of my life and of all of us. Our lives are... T.S. Eliot called it in his famous... Uh, poem, The Wasteland, a heap of broken images. Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? This is probably one of the saddest readings in the Gospel. If we read it in the way I'm suggesting, it's more more than literal, as two parts of one whole human being Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me? Do you not care that I have lost myself? This is our greatest fear. And it's our greatest shame that not only have we been damaged by the world, but we damaged ourselves. We have split ourselves into bits. My sister has left me. I'm literally beside myself. I am literally beside myself. So much of the time. I am the author of so much of my own despair. I do not understand my own actions, Paul says. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? We are alone in the world. We have to do all the work by ourselves. It's wrong. We, doesn't anybody care? Doesn't anybody know what a struggle it is to be me? I have a, a a mentor who frequently asks when he's in groups, who knows what life is like for you? And i found it over the years the most devastating question. And when I've been in conversation with people who are in turmoil in their lives and they're able to honestly answer it, many people will say, no one. Those of us who are fortunate may have one or two people who are open, generous and gracious enough to hear us and to get a sense of what life is actually like for us. Because we hide it from each other and we have to. It's the way we get through. But the deficit, it's a devastating question that I invite you to ask for yourself. Who knows what life is like for you? You might be married. You might have lots of family, many friends. But it's a very deep question. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Somebody help me. Give me the right book. Give me the right creed. Give me the right set of beliefs or practices. Give me the thing that will fix me. Because I have to do all the work by myself. Like all great stories, begins in normal life. It begins with openness and welcome. Hospitality, sitting at the feet of the divine, deeply engaged Living an, sitting quietly, living an open, engaged life, and then it all falls in a heap. And then Jesus says this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. Yeah, it's kind of obvious we hide it from ourselves, but it can't be hidden. And I like the, word, the way that Jesus uses the word Martha twice. And I'm going to suggest that Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, you are one person. You aren't separated out. You aren't dis- dissipated. You are one person. You are whole. You are human. You are in the image of God. Your worries are much deeper than you think they are. It's not the stuff that you think you have to do. It's not the stuff that you must do. In order to be a decent human being, they're not the things that are distracting you. You are divorced from yourself. You are living a divided life with a great gap in the middle of it. That's what's distracting you and worrying you. It's much deeper than you think it is. If you think you've got problems, you're right. But they're much worse than you think they are. They're much deeper. They're much more profound. There is need, Jesus then goes on to say, of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. What is the better part or what is the best part, some of the texts say? What is Mary actually doing? Not much. She's sitting quietly. She's open. It's not so much what she's doing as what she's not doing. In a frenetic world, she is stopping and remember, if we're, if you want to go with me on this, in my reading of this, if we're both Mary and Martha in this story, we have already chosen the better part. We are already deep within us. It wells up within us the desire to be who we fully, humanly are. An integrated, alive, whole person. It's already within us. We've already chosen that. Sure, we've cluttered it up. Sure, we can go days and months and maybe, tragically, years without acknowledging it. Because we're stoic. We can put up with an enormous amount of rubbish that we tell ourselves and still keep going. There's a cost, but we hope we won't ever have to pay it. We're already that person. And that's why it can never be taken away. Because it's Always been central to who you are. You were made. You are made in the image of the divine. You look like God. I look like my parents. My kids look like me. I look like God. You do. That sounds blasphemous and shocking. Don't blame me. I'm, I'm just reading what the Bible tells me. We need the courage To recognise that it's there already, present within us. The courage to stop and pay attention. And when we do, we'll see things we do not want to see. When you're awake at 2 o'clock tomorrow morning, not able to sleep, you will see things in you that you are ashamed of, that you are disappointed with, that you are lost in. And that's the way it is. And you will see the world of wonders, the world that you saw when you were a kid, when you couldn't walk down the street without stopping every three seconds to pick up a leaf, to look at the crack in the sidewalk, to drive your parents crazy because you wouldn't move faster to get the thing done that needed to be done. That's what's open to us. It's there, welcoming to us, inviting us. We already have chosen the better part. We are already the ones who are sitting, open, alive, welcoming. might not be obvious, because it's a quieter and smaller thing than we expect. Particularly those of us who've been in church for a long time, we've been told to add things on, to be better at things, to do less things. It seems like an anathema. Because we've been told to come to church and work hard and join the clubs and join the groups and join the rosters. And those things are of value and meaning. But to hear, well, why don't you just sit? Don't just sit there, do something. If you turn that around, don't just do something. Sit there. You have already chosen this deep within you and it will never, ever, ever be taken from you.